who's excited for our second birthday? Yes. All right, so question as we kick this thing off, who has ever experienced an awkward moment? Okay, only a few. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn the person next to you. I want you to tap them on the shoulder. Yes, actually do this. Yes, now if you did not know that person, that was kind of awkward. So we're all in the same boat now. But when I was thinking back to the last two years and just thinking, you know, reminiscing and thinking about the moments, sometimes awkward moments pop up. And here's one of mine. When we first got started, we, these God Loves You cards in year one were like hot off the press. They had just got done getting printed, and Jason was preaching this powerful sermon on Sunday, how we need to go out to the community, and we need to show love and kindness, and I was ready. So um, that Monday... I stocked my pocket full of these bad boys. I had never done anything like this, but I said, today is the day that I show love. All right? So I'm on my way to Wawa, and I'm kind of walking around, scoping the scene, you know, kind of profiling a little bit, like, who is going to get some of my God loves you cards today? And as I'm scoping the scene, you know, you're looking for that right person, that person, you know, you don't want to pay for the guy who has like 16 Wawa sandwiches. You're looking for the guy who just has like the one (laughs) cup of coffee, So I'm in line, and I turn to my right, I'm like, this is the guy. (laughs) He had like a 16-ounce. He looked like a a nice enough gentleman. So I'm in line, and I get to the cashier, and I say, hey, um, I'm going to pay for my coffee, and then I want to pay for this gentleman's as well. And without skipping a beat, and as directly and as firmly as possible, the man said, no. No. And I said, no, no, I'm just trying to show you love and kindness. I just want to show you that God loves you, and so do we. And even more directly and more firmly said to me, no. <laughs> and I remember standing at the counter, like, I, I'm just, I, I'm, okay, I'm going to, I'm just going to take, I'm just going to go. <laughs> I remember walking outside, just feeling embarrassed and rejected and kind of saying to God, Why? You know, I finally get the boldness to live out my faith in a practical way. I finally have the courage to do something like this, and it didn't go my way. I felt rejected in that moment, and it left me asking the question, was it a waste? Was it a waste living out my faith in a practical way? I mean, have you ever been there before yourself? I mean, maybe you were like that this past Monday. I mean, last Sunday was amazing. We gave away over $3,000 for the gas and saw hundreds of people get to know Jesus. And then we had a church service that was just like amazing and the worship exploded. And then he showed up Monday morning and said, hey, did you see what happened yesterday? It was amazing. And then you have that coworker or that friend or family member says, yeah, I watched on Facebook. You know, I saw what you did at the gas station. All I saw was you putting gas into really expensive cars. You know, maybe you should have checked their tax returns when you asked them if they wanted free gas. You know, if I was going to do that, I would have done it differently than you. Or maybe you're talking about the church service and, man, I just experienced worship in such an incredible way. I would love you to experience that. I've experienced so much life change. I would love you to get a taste of Wellspring. And the more and more you're talking, the more and more they're looking at you and saying, you know, it just sounds like you go to a cult. And you just leave that moment feeling like, man, I keep trying.
trying to live out my faith. I, I keep trying to do this. I keep trying to talk about Jesus. I keep trying to give out these God love you cards. I'm never having the response that I think I should get. And you're just feeling that rejected feeling of, you know, is it really worth it? Is it all a waste? And this morning, what I want to challenge us is that this, is that when you are in those moments, what you're doing is obeying Jesus. And obeying Jesus, obedience is never a waste. Even sometimes when it's hard, even sometimes when we're facing rejection or maybe even suffering, it's never a waste because obeying Jesus is never a waste. So here's our big thought for the morning. And and what I want us to wrestle with over the next little bit is this, is that suffering isn't wasteful when you're doing what is right. Suffering isn't wasteful when you're doing what is right. I mean, listen, can we be honest with ourselves this morning? I hope we can, because, you know, I'm up here preaching. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, But don't we, when we experience this kind of rejection, we're talking with our friend, we're like, hey, this Jesus guy is pretty great. And you get that pushback. You get that rejection. Like, I don't don't really, I'm not into that. And, you know, because you're into that, I don't. You're kind of losing it. When we experience that kind of rejection, isn't our tendency to want to run? Isn't our tendency, you know what, maybe I'm not going to talk about my faith as much as I need to. You know, every time I do, I get this pushback. I get this rejection. And sometimes I ask myself the question, that is it a waste? Is it a waste? Well, our response to that. And what I want to challenge us this morning is this that suffering isn't wasteful when you're doing what is right. So this morning we're going to dive into 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can use the app or you can just follow along on the screen. But when Peter, who's Peter? Peter was one of Jesus' 12 dudes that he asked to follow him to go out into his world and train them and disciple them to spread the mission of himself. So when Peter is writing 1 Peter, it's about 60 years after Jesus had risen from the dead. And Peter was working in building his church, building the church of Christ in Rome. And who he's talking to is a group of Christians who are experiencing tremendous rejection. Tremendous rejection and suffering and persecution, not for doing anything evil but for simply living and loving like Jesus. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are going to face rejection and suffering sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes we're going to face it. And in our gut, in our core, sometimes we're going to be tempted to be fearful, to want to run, to want to punk out. But when we're living a Christ-centered life, when Jesus is at the center of our life and that love propels us to action, propels us to love, amazing things can happen. So let's start off reading in verse 13. It says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your heart honor Christ the Lord as holy. 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So our first point for the morning is this, is that even in suffering, always be ready to make Jesus famous. That even when it gets hard, even in rejection, always be ready to make Jesus famous. What I love about Peter is me and Peter are the kind of the same guy in this regard. Here, here's what it is. Peter is a realist, and I'm a realist. Now, if you're an optimist in the room, you can't stand me. Because I'm never seeing things as optimistic as you. You're like, this is awesome. And I'm like, I mean, it's good. And if you're a pessimist in the room, you can't stand me either. Because you're like, the world is burning. I'm like, no, there's just a little fire, but everything else is pretty great. And that's what Peter is doing here. He's understanding the situation that when you're living a good life, when you're living and loving like Jesus, when you're going out into the community, when you're showing love and showing kindness and being humble, most people, most people are going to love and accept that, just like we saw at the gas day. We, we served 100, 201 cars, and 199 of them were just psyched to be there. And when we had conversations with them, they're like, wow, I've never experienced the love of God like this. Thank you. But I promise you that there were a few people there that didn't care. They didn't want to talk to us. They just wanted to get their gas and be on their way because of our why. Because we were doing it in the name of Jesus. And when you do that, not everyone, but some people are going to push back at you and reject you. Verse 14, it says, but even, in suffer, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Growing up in high school, I was not, um, to put it nicely, one of the smartest people. Not sure if you've ever experienced being not one of the smartest people. But in my junior and senior year, I had the honor to do this like pilot program with vocational for audio production. And at the time, I was so passionate about audio and sound and all these exciting things. And it was linked to OCC, so I got college credits. It was great. And for those two years, I had a 4.0 GP average. And that's not to brag because I'm not that smart. But the reason it was I had that is because I just was excited to be there doing what I loved. I was the guy who showed up early and left late and raised his hand and did extra credit. And what happened at that school is this, that most people in the class, I mean, they didn't even really care about me. And some of them maybe wanted to be my friend, but there was a small group of people in that class that couldn't stand me. Not because I did anything wrong, but because I was making them look bad. So they would say, Graham, stop trying so hard. Graham, you're making the rest of us look bad. Graham, you're changing the grade point curve. Graham, stop it. You're making us look bad. I mean, I'm not sure if you've ever experienced a situation like that yourself. Maybe you're in a work situation where, you know, all the people around you are suddenly just, just steal some time. We're all doing it too. Or maybe you're a waiter and people are skimming tips and you're like, no, the we're doing it, so you should do it too. And you're like, no, my faith tells me to live differently. And because you're doing the right things, because you're, you're living like Jesus, you're receiving pushback and you're receiving rejection. And it's hard. When we place Jesus at the center of our life, 
When we place Jesus at the center of life, out of that should come an overflow of love and kindness and humility and gentleness and all of these good things. And what the, the verses are teaching us here, what Peter is teaching us here, is that when we're living and loving like Jesus, most people are going to love and accept it, but some people, some people are going to reject you for it, and there may, there may be suffering for it. Not by everyone. And when that rejection comes and when we feel that pushback, our gut instinct is to be fearful, but what these verses are saying is we can't punk out. We have to be bold. We have to be bold in living and loving like Jesus. Why? Because when we do, we'll be blessed for it and God will honor us for it. Continuing in verse 15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ, Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, hashtag, don't be a jerk. <laughs> if you're in this room this morning, and maybe you've been brought by somebody, maybe, maybe you're kind of like, ah, I mean, I'll check out this thing. I saw Wellspring on Facebook. I'll like check it out. And you're not sure about this God stuff. Maybe you're on the fence about this all. One, I want to say you are welcomed here. Your doubts are welcomed here. Your questions are welcomed here. And no one's ever going to push back at you. But if you've ever experienced someone that has not shown you gentleness and respect for your disbelief, I want to say sorry. Because what God is calling us to here is when we're giving a defense for our hope, we need to do it with gentleness and respect. I remember one day, um, I had a really long day at have you ever had a really long day? Yeah. Um, I normally operate on like four brain cells, and today I, had, I was on one. So I had this really long day, and I had a barber's appointment scheduled after work. And uh, my barber, my old barber, was kind of known for not being a huge fan of Jesus. And uh, so when we first started, you know, getting the haircut, we did the rigmarole of like, oh, what do you do for a living? What do you do for fun? And, you know, I told him about Jesus, and I, you know, work for a church and all this great stuff. And the conversation kind of dwindled from there. And ever since then, we didn't really dialogue all that much. But this particular day, I sat down in the chair, and within 30 seconds, he hit me with a barrage of, how do you know there's a God? How do you know Jesus is real? How do you know the Bible is real? Why does God allow suffering? Here's my interpretation of God. God is a beautiful woman made out of a tree. Oh, I wanted to say, bro, any other day, I mean, even on a good day, but any other day, this is not the day. But in that moment, what that taught me, what that reminded me of is this, that when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, I am never off the clock. I can't have a bad day when it comes to defending the hope that is inside me. That Jesus has loved me so much that he sacrificed so much for me that I always need to be ready to make a defense for the hope that is inside me. So point number one, even in suffering, always be ready to make Jesus famous. In verse 16, we pick up, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered or those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. 
For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Point number two this morning is this, is that sin inhibits our impact. That sin inhibits our impact. I don't know about you, but for me personally, when I was studying this scripture, this is one of the points that really rocked my world, that really convicted me personally. You see, one of the most distinguishing marks of a Christian, one of the most distinguishing marks of a follower of Christ is this, of the hope we possess. Of the hope we possess. That the light of Jesus would be so strong in us that the light of Jesus is be so strong in us that it's literally bursting through us. That when we're with our friends and our family and our coworkers and our job situations and our circumstance, that people are no longer seeing Graham or Heather or Katie. But what they're seeing is Jesus. That is the goal for us. But how often we do the opposite. How often that we're in our relationships and with our friends and our coworkers, how often they are seeing the opposite because sin inhibits our impact. Let me try and illustrate this. Um, one of the questions that came burning in my mind um, when I was reading this was this. Is that how many of us don't share our faith in public because of the life we are living in private? How many of us are unwilling or afraid to share our faith in public because of the life we are living in private? How many of us are unwilling to pray for one, to love one, love all, to talk to our friends and our family and our schoolmates about why we love Jesus, about the hope that's inside of us? Or are allowing the sin in our life to be like, oh, I'm too afraid. I can't do it. Here's what this looks like. Imagine this window is you. And before we say yes to our personal relationship with Jesus, we all have this thing called a sin problem. The Bible says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, all includes me and you. So we have this sin problem. But the minute we say yes, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I understand what he did for me. Yes, I know I have a sin problem. God, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I love you. Here's what Jesus does. He starts taking all of this away. Because we understand that this sin problem, there was nothing we could do about it. It was on this side of the glass, no matter how good we are, no matter how many times we come to church, no matter if we do life group, no matter we good do good things, there's no way to get this sin from this side of the glass. And here's what happens. The minute we say yes to Jesus, that the light of Jesus literally comes bursting through us. That when we're in our relationships or with our family or our friends or coworkers, they are no longer seeing us, but they are literally seeing the light of Jesus inside of us. But here's what we start doing. Here's what we start doing. We've been freed from this. God has set us free, and he says, you no longer have to live this life. You no longer have to live a life of pride. You no longer, you say, no, but I'm ambitious. You know, I'm in my company and I got to keep pushing. I'm going to run over anyone I need to run over because I got to be successful. God, you would understand. So I'm going to add some pride back in my life. 
God, you know, racism in my life was taught, and it's really hard to unteach something. So I know you, you freed me, and you know, say, we're all created equal, but i got to add some racism back in my life. God, you don't understand how long of a day I have. And when I come home, my kids, they're just so loud and obnoxious. And I, I know you say abuse is wrong, but i got to add that back in. God, I know you say addiction is wrong and you freed from that and I can live in freedom. I don't need chains anymore, but God, it's just, it just sometimes feels better to have that addiction or it's, it's lust or it's fear or it's any of these things. And what happens is, what happens is the light of Jesus is no able longer to shine through us. That what happens is that we start putting sin on the front side of our life And when we're in our relationships and when we're trying to show love and kindness and pray for one, they're no longer seeing Jesus, they're seeing this. Here's what this looks like. You're at work, and you say, hey, Mike, you should come to church with me on Sunday. Hashtag Will Spring. And he's like, why? Why should I come to church with you? And you say, oh, man, Mike. God has radically changed my life. I have, an, I have a hope inside of me that, that you couldn't even understand. And I've been freed from so many things. I want you to experience that just like I've experienced that. And he responds, what hope? What change? Because when we went out to the dinner with all the guys the other night, all I saw you do is flirt with all the waitresses. You know, didn't you cheat on your wife? Aren't you in debt up to your eyeballs? You know, every time I'm with your family, all you do is scream at your kids. You know, all I hear is you tell racist jokes and you're just trying to get ahead. You're not willing to, you're willing to run over everybody. You just scroll through your Instagram feed and let jealousy build up inside you. You know, if that's the kind of Jesus that you follow, if that's the kind of hope that you have, I don't want any part of it. Gandhi says this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Sin inhibits our impact. Church, I need you to hear this this morning. God has so much more for you. God has a purpose at you, for you. God looked at you and said, I want you. I have a place in my heart for you. That I was willing to suffer and die for you. That I want to empower you to do so much more. And you might be looking at this and saying, Graham, I've tried. I've tried. I've said yes to Jesus. There's no longer sin on this side of the glass. But I've tried getting rid of this and I can't do it. I fail and I fail and I fail. And what I need to tell you this morning is the same Jesus that took care of on this side is the same Jesus that's going to take care of this side. Because a Jesus-centered life is a surrendered life. A Jesus-centered life is a surrendered life. And the minute you say, I can't do it anymore, This sin comes down, and the light of Jesus is clearly, brilliantly able to shine through you, and you are able to have incredible impact in your relationships and in our community and our culture. But we have to be willing to say, I can't do it anymore. And we move from inhibited 
to enabled. We move from inhibited to enabled. Let's continue in verse 18. Verse 18, it says, For Christ's offer suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, Jesus for us, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So point number three is this. Suffering for Jesus wasn't wasteful. It brought us to God. Suffering for Jesus wasn't wasteful. It brought us to God. Why isn't suffering never wasteful when you're doing what is right? It's because suffering wasn't a waste for Jesus. Suffering wasn't a waste for Jesus. Church, when God looked at you, he saw so much worth in you, so much so that he was willing to risk everything for you. He was willing to risk everything for you. Jesus risked his dignity, his life, his lordship, his body, his soul for you. So the question we need to wrestle with, the question I have been wrestling with is this. Why am I not willing to risk Watch this video. I remember being challenged by a girl called Fatima from Saudi Arabia. She was in her mid-twenties and living in one of the most hostile places on earth to be a Christian. She'd not always been a Christian. In fact, she started life as a Muslim. It wasn't long after this that Fatima began blogging, began getting online and writing blogs for for her friends to read. She wanted to share her newfound excitement for God. She would do it under an alias called Rania, which translated means contented. To protect her from the multitude of insults and responses that she would get, I remember on one occasion, she received the following reply. And it says, You worship a foolish, crucified, cursed Lord. If I had you in my hands, I would slaughter you twice. Fatima responded with this. To those who become Christians, how you are so cruel. And the Messiah says, blessed are the persecuted. And by God, I am unto death a Christian. It wasn't long after this series of blogs that Fatima decided to tell her family that she'd become Christian. When she told them about her decision to follow Jesus, an argument broke out. And the next day, Fatima returned from a family function to find that her brother had broken into her room and was actually sitting on her laptop. This troubled her greatly because she knew that the desktop picture was a picture of the cross. Many of her writings and blogs were sitting open on her desktop. She said when she walked into her room, her brother was very angry. Fatima decided to lock herself in the room as a measure of safety. And she jumped online and she wrote a blog to her followers and it it was simply entitled, I'm in big trouble. Over the next four hours, She asked all her followers to pray for her. Shortly after this, Fatima's brother returned to her room 
He burned her face. He burned her back. He cut out her tongue. And he killed her. You know, as I think so much about her story, I, I think to myself, what's my response? I think to myself things like risk-taking Christianity. Is there such a thing? Because the Bible that I read, the, the Bible that I see, and the stories like Fatima, they tell me that Christianity in and of itself is defined by risk. It's easy to be a Christian in your head and not sort of honour God with your words. But being a Christian in your heart and with your actions, that's the real deal. A Christian in the deepest fibre of your being. It's where faith, it comes alive and it materialises from faith into action. And your natural response to a relationship with Jesus is to express it any way possible. If you're anything like me, when you watch that video, the emotions can be a little overwhelming. And you might be saying to yourself, what do I do with that? What do I do with that? You know, I've never experienced something like that. I can't believe that. You know, when you listen to a story like Phasma, it's, it's hard. But the question that's been compelling me after that watching that video is, what is my response? What should be my response? You see, for many of us, Jesus isn't calling to live a life like her. Many of us, Jesus isn't calling to live a life in intense persecution and rejection and suffering. What Jesus is calling us to is to simply love better. To simply show more kindness. When we have those family members that may have hurt us, to simply say, I forgive you. That when the kids have been screaming at us all day and our first reaction is to say, I'm just going to scream back to say, I'm going to respond gently today. That should be our response. A lot of us just need to get to this stage that are we willing to simply speak his name? That whether, whether our friends or our coworkers or our family members or, or, or our culture or the community that we're living or even our barber like me, am I willing to speak his name? Because in our culture, sometimes that does bring risk. I mean, you heard Melissa's story. Melissa is famous and known in her job for this, to simply talking about her Jesus and talking about her church. And Melissa works in a government building where talking about your faith can bring risk. But because she's so unashamed of speaking the name of Jesus, when a coworker found this card, she came running back and said, This is your church. 
Isn't this your Jesus? That's what we're talking about here. Church, if we can grab hold of this, then giving out a hundred thousand God love you cards will be a drop in the bucket because if we're all united around a vision that we are willing to risk loving like Jesus, amazing things can happen in our churches and in our communities and in our relationships. God looked at you and said, I see so much worth in you, that I am willing to take great risk on you, that I'm willing to suffer for you. That when Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying for your sins, for the first time ever, God took his eyes off his son, Jesus, and he turned his eyes on you. And he said, I love you, and I'm willing to risk everything for you. So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning, the question we need to struggle with this morning, the challenge for us this morning is risk loving like Jesus. Church, it's our two-year birthday. It's our two-year birthday. And the question I want you to leave asking with is look to the seat next to you and say, who do I want sitting next to me on our three-year birthday? Is it my mom? Is it my dad? Is it my brother? Is it my sister? Is it my best friend? Who do I want sitting next to me on our three-year birthday? And my question for you this morning, the question you have to wrestle with this morning is this, are they worth the risk? Are they worth the risk? Because Jesus was willing to risk everything for you. So are we willing to let his love compel us to push us to risk loving others like he did. That is our challenge for us this morning. Because church, if we can do this, amazing things can happen. God wants so much more for you. He wants to empower you. He wants to push you. He has a mission for you. We just have to say yes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know what what we talked about is a challenging subject this morning, but it challenged me personally that am I willing to risk loving like you loved me? So God, my prayer for this morning is that if there's someone in this room that that needs to maybe, maybe they're allowing their sin to inhibit you, that maybe they get to a point where they say, I can't try harder anymore because trying harder isn't working. Jesus, I need you. Or maybe someone this morning is like, you're talking about risking loving like Jesus, but I've never even experienced Jesus himself. So God, my prayer for this morning is that if there's someone in this room who needs to experience the love of Jesus, your love for the very first time, that they'll be bold enough, they'll be willing, be risk enough to say, I'm ready to be free. I'm ready to be free, that I want to experience your love, that I know I have this sin problem that I couldn't get to, but I know your love and your blood is strong enough to save me. So God, if there's someone in this room this morning that wants to do that, I pray that they'll be bold enough to see an aisle host, that they'll be bold enough to come talk to our volunteers, that they'll be bold enough to say, I'm ready. I'm ready. 
God, we love you on this two-year birthday. We thank you for everything that you've done for us. And I, I just pray that this morning, that this, this day doesn't bring us down, but it propels us into a new year. That it propels us to be on mission for you and that we love like you like never before. Because of you took a risk on us to love. In your name. Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to stay connected, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook or Instagram, and if you would like to help us with our mission of igniting a craving for Jesus by relentlessly loving our community, you can find the link to give and all the other ways to connect with us down in the description box below.